Hello, everyone, and welcome to Front Porch Report. I'm Taz. And I'm Sam. Today, we've got a rather somber episode for you as we are going to be reflecting on just some tragic developments that have happened in the past week or so. I'm sure most of you have heard about the shooting in Uvalde that happened, and we're not going to go too deeply into that because details are still arriving, but we just want to acknowledge what happened and offer just a few words in memorial of the victims. But the other thing that we're going to talk about is something that might have slipped some of your notice, but it is the releasing of a 400-page guidepost report on basically a cover-up that was occurring in the Southern Baptist Convention, which is the largest Protestant denomination in America, and a cover-up that they had of some sexual abuse. So we're going we're gonna to talk about those two things and dive a little deep into it, give our Christian worldview perspective as best we can. And as we go, I just invite you to prayerfully listen along and join us as we mourn these two horribly tragic things that are happening in our nation right now. Welcome to Middle Ground on Front Porch Report, where every other week, Sam and I look at local, national, and international stories that have significance for us as Christians. We strive to cut through the noise of ideology and partisanship to focus on what the biblical worldview tells us is really going on. In a world full of left versus right and us versus them, we seek to tease out the nuance of every situation and find the middle ground. Thank you for joining us this week. The report is in. Yeah, and and for those of you who have kind of been in the circle for a while, you may have not been as, as surprised by this because, you know, there was a, a series of articles published in 2019 that kind of brought a lot of these issues to light. And, and while this... Uh, bombshell report is a part of what was kind of covered in 2019. There are topics and things that have been released now uh, in this report that were not known at the time in 2019. So if you remember just a few years back, there was that issue that had taken place. Um, This is kind of the report that uh, came out of that uh, allegations and investigative journalism done by uh, the Houston Chronicle. So, Sam, as a member of a Southern Baptist church for your entire life, a a couple of different ones, and as someone who has followed this reporting really closely all the way back to 2019 when the Houston Chronicle first broke the report, could you tell us a little bit about just the history of of that and sort of what was in that original reporting? Yeah, it's, it's heavy. So in 2019, I was at TCU taking a class called Victimology. And one of the things that we had to do for that class is uh, write a paper uh, about a particular topic uh, that related to the study of victimology, which uh, is the study of of victims. And this report had just come out, and I decided that as a member of the SBC, it it was too big of a thing to not talk about. And I felt that it was something that needed to be discussed. And so I did a lot of digging into it, uh, what the Chronicle found, uh, as well as some 
investigation of my own talking with uh, members at other SBC churches who had been members of churches where abuse had taken place. Uh, and, and it was heartbreaking. I would say it's the most difficult paper uh, I've ever written. And the abstract from that paper is going to give a good summary as well as the conclusion. So I can go ahead and read those just as a, as an understanding, but uh, it says uh, in 2019, the Houston Chronicle released a series of articles entitled abuse of faith. In these articles, the Chronicle outlined a systemic issue in America's second largest faith group and the largest Protestant denomination known as the Southern Baptist Convention. These articles sparked public outcry, leading to actions being taken at the Southern Baptist Convention's annual meeting that year. However, these actions were far from adequate and only begin to address the deeper issues exposed by the Chronicle. The SBC has taken the approach that there are limited actions that they can take due to their polity. However, in looking at the actions taken by the Catholic Church after similar allegations, it is within reason to conclude that there is more the SBC can be doing to help protect its members from abuse. And with the conclusion uh, being, this is this hurts, um, and this this is given the specific things that the SBC did. It says. The inaction of the SBC over the past two decades in response to the sexual misconduct allegations has, one, perpetrated a cycle of abuse, two, given abusers a license to offend, and three, stigmatized victims. Publications such as the Houston Chronicle have brought on cultural pressures that have in turn incited change within the SBC. The actions taken by the SBC in Birmingham, in brackets, uh, at their annual convention that year, should only serve as a starting point to improve the issues brought to light by the Chronicle. For the issues to be mitigated further, actions such as prevention and education for both churches and clergy must be taken. The SBC must not continue to view the issues as a few rotten apples, but rather a systemic issue that must be corrected. And if indeed it is not corrected, those, quote, few rotten apples may indeed just spoil the bunch. And that's, that's hard. You know, at a couple points in this paper, I discussed how none of the six seminaries had any formal education on how to handle sexual abuse allegations or, or the sexual abuse that, that happens within the church, and they still don't. There were, you know, discussions that there should have been a registry of, of you know, offenders that we would know that these people have offended before. And instead, what the SBC would often do during that time frame is they would quietly fire the person, allowing them to move on to a new church and then abuse somebody else there. And so, you know, there were calls for a registry. Well, the, the bombshell report that just got released turns out uh, the SBC was keeping a registry and they were keeping it silent. And they, they knew people were having issues and they said nothing. And all of this was to protect the SBC from litigation. Um, and that's just heartbreaking that they, they protected financial interest over human people. And so if you followed this situation, um, you know, the 2019 story, and you re read the paper that was released, uh, I haven't read all 400 pages. I, I don't quite frankly have the time, but I did read the article written by the Houston Chronicle they released uh, an updated article. Uh, but if you if you were familiar with all of that, like this, this wasn't a shock. And if it is serves as a shock, it means you haven't been paying attention. And man, I just, I don't know how we can look at this situation and just say this is fine. 
and we could keep doing what we've always been doing because that's clearly not working. Yeah, and a couple of things that just stand out to me about this whole situation and some of the motivations that are cited by the people that are involved are just this loyalty to the organization or this desire to protect the organization from harm. The uh, The Houston Chronicle article that recently came out um, says, quote, that Southern Baptist leaders downplayed their own abuse crisis and instead prioritized shielding the SBC and its hundreds of millions of dollars in annual donations from lawsuits by abuse victims, end quote. But yeah, so you've got this executive team for the whole convention, which is a, a national organization that ostensibly represents churches kind of all the way down the line, even though there is a heavy sort of decentralization and a lot of autonomy for individual churches. But one of the things that they do get is they get a lot of donations and dollars coming in from this cooperative program that the churches can opt into. um, And that helps fund things like international missions and uh, all the bureaucratic stuff that, that goes on. And so out of fear of having either decreased donations or having to pay legal fees or have legal liability for things that are happening in churches that you are associated with and taking money from, these leaders were instead just deciding to keep all of this a secret. And one of the really fascinating things to me, and you you mentioned this in your abstract to your paper, Sam, was that the the shield that they were kind of holding up and saying, oh, we can't deal with this, we can't do anything about it, is our polity is decentralized, churches are autonomous, therefore we don't have any authority to either keep a database of abuse survivors or ask churches to report when someone is caught in the act of um, abusing or um, anything like that. And that's something that worked for them for decades. That's an excuse that people just kind of accepted. And the, the hypocrisy of that excuse is really quite shocking once you think about it, because Um, And Sam, you can explain how a church can be disfellowshipped from the SBC, right? And what are some of the things that could cause a church to be disfellowshipped and have been causes of disfellowshipping? Yeah, the the largest discussion of of disfellowship from the SBC has been around um, heretical teaching or things that the SBC considers heretical teaching as well. I, w- I would specify that because some of my good Christian brothers and sisters may disagree with with some of the things that the SBC has labeled heresy. Um, but, you know, um, for instance, there were churches that were uh, explicitly racist that have been removed from friendly cooperation with the SBC that is, that's taken place. That's kind of one that everyone's like, okay, it's sensible. There was, I believe in 2020, there was a couple of churches. One of them was removed from uh, fellowship with the SBC due to the fact that they had a female head pastor. Again, my Methodist brothers and sisters in the faith may contend that's not heresy. Again, I want to be very clear that SBC would probably consider that heretical, but that doesn't necessarily mean Protestantism as a whole would. Then you had uh, other things such as LGBTQ issues uh, that, you know, there were churches who were LGBTQ affirming or had LGBTQ uh, staff uh, that were also removed from 
uh, friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. It, it's really interesting because the polity of the SBC, it's not that our church is an SBC member or our church is an SBC church. It's the correct phrasing is our church is in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention, which is a little weird, but yeah. But yeah, so basically you've got these churches being removed from friendly cooperation because of issues that, you know, the the, ra- the racism one is a deep moral issue, but the some of those others are things that people of good conscience have disagreements about. But the fact that you've got literal sexual abuse happening, which no one's going to say that sexual abuse is okay, but it's all, you know, for whatever reason, it's not being held with the same level of seriousness as a female pastor in a church to where the SBC leadership would be doing everything they can when they find out about it to discover, hey, is this something that's true? If it is true, how can we protect church members? How can we protect other churches if this person tries to just slip off and and move to a new place? And, you know, the, the lack of allowing law enforcement to get involved in some of these cases, it's just really what it demonstrates is that while we all might pay lip service to the idea that sexual abuse is wrong, there is often a failure to back up that assertion with appropriate action and with an appropriate response that would demonstrate that you actually care about this thing. If leadership in the SBC were as dedicated to eradicating this problem as they are to eradicating critical race theory in their churches, then we would probably be having a very different conversation now, three years later, from the original report. But instead, a committee was set up to handle complaints against churches regarding sexual assault things. And the the guidepost investigators during that time found that, you know, maybe there was some good intentions behind that, but they didn't have training, they didn't have any written policies, and they weren't equipped to be able to promptly respond to victims who contacted them. And so even though there was this sort of lip service paid after the original 2019 report to, hey, we're going to try to do something about this, it was a it was a half-hearted attempt at best, and it really proved to be very ineffective. And that continues to today. Well, what's even worse than that is you had... So for clarification, I know this is confusing for those of you who are in the SBC world and... When I did some work with a, with a Methodist ministry in college, their polity was confusing to me and I had to have people <laughs> explain it to me a bunch. So I will do my best here, but by no means am I an expert on SBC polity. Um, but one of the things that's like really rough here is you have state conventions, right? Um, and the state conventions hold the money and then pass it to the national conventions. Well, in it, I believe it was 2020, in the 2020 SBC National Convention, they voted to have this uh, external report done by the third party. And one of the things is SBC had internal documents that they were supposed to release. And it was part of the resolution for the SBC to release those documents. And they refused to. The executive committee fought it for an egregious amount of time. And I mean an egregious amount of time. And it wasn't until the BGCT, which is one of the Texas state affiliates, 
was refusing to hand over money to the SBC. That means they were literally withholding the money that churches would send BGCT money and BGCT would then send it to the national uh, SBC. When the BGCT was refusing to hand over money until they released those documents to the committee to be, when the executive committee would release the documents to the third party investigating, it wasn't until then that the SBC finally released it. And I mean, some of the things that were released are just damning. So, you know, the whole time that we're sitting there and they're saying, no, we can't keep a list. We can't make a list. You know, that's not our job. It's it's the job of individual churches to vet. Meanwhile, the SBC had a list of, of 703 offenders with an SBC connection, and they knew some of them were still were in occupation at SBC churches. And that just blows my mind. And it, it started, it wasn't like, oh, they started this list in 2019 after the, you know, Houston Chronicle did their report. It's been compiled since 2007. They've had it for a decade and a half. And it was like well known in the SBC circle that this existed on like the committee level, but we didn't know this existed. And, and that's crazy. And then the other thing that comes out is, massive and that is a a former sbc president johnny hunt uh was accused of sexually assaulting a woman in the weeks after his presidential tenure ended and i I mean this is just crazy that we're seeing this and i can understand why the committee didn't want to release these documents to guidepost for them guidepost to do their investigation because they're pretty damning Um, But this is what the SBC voted for. Like, we sent delegates to vote for this. We all agreed this should happen. And yes, it is a painful process. But like, just because something's painful doesn't mean we can't ignore it. You know, Uh, it just it blows my mind. And just about the one more thing about the leadership, they there is a tendency for those in power, I think, to sort of spiritualize this kind of reckoning that's coming. And um, several members of this executive committee and um, and their lawyers are quoted as calling the the reckoning that's coming because of victims speaking out and stuff like that, you know, a satanic plot to destroy the SBC. And that is just a manipulative use of spirituality and of scripture to try to maintain your own power, maintain your own status quo and ultimately, you know, silence victims and prevent what I believe God would have happen from happening. The the satanic stuff that's happening is the, is the crimes that's occurring against these victims and these survivors. And if your highest good is the maintaining of the status quo or the maintaining of the public view of what your denomination is rather than taking a look at what the problems are and actually looking for solutions, working with victims and survivors to create something better, even though it's a painful process and you're going to lose money, you're going to lose reputation along the way, then you've just totally lost the ball. And it, you know, it reminds me of some of the worst times for the nation of Israel in in the Bible, where they're more focused on their own appearance of godliness by, you know, maintaining our maintaining their sacrifices or their new moon festivals, but they've neglected justice and mercy and the 
the things that God actually cares the most about. Mm. And so this is something that was at the very top and a cover-up that was brought about by, by people on that executive committee. But we can't just lay all the blame there because this is also something that was allowed to occur because people at all levels were not proactive in taking actions that could have revealed it or could have stopped it. And so I think we should also talk about what we as, as lay people and as people who are on the ground in our churches can do to help create an environment where this can't happen anymore in, in our churches. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that we have to do is stop passing the buck. And one of the things that often happened that was discussed in the 2019 articles that is, is slightly discussed here is what would happen is, is abusers, when they were caught, were allowed to resign in lieu of an investigation, uh, whether that be a criminal investigation or otherwise. And then there were other cases where churches literally knew uh, about credible accusations or actually, in some cases, felonies that had been in the records of, of people they were hiring for clergy and they still hired them anyway. And then the prior of that is just kind of, you know, recklessly irresponsible. I mean, to, to just say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to let you resign. And that way you could just go to another church and abuse somebody. And we don't have to worry about the repercussions. Like that's just crazy. The second is unfathomable. Uh, one of the cases in 2019 discussed a, a church that, that hired a guy with a, a known federal child pornography charge. Like this, this wasn't something he kept secret. I mean, even if they did a background check on him, it would have popped. Um, and so they knew it. And I just don't see why the SBC, if we're so gung ho about rooting out problems like that, if you're found passing the buck or you're found hiring somebody who does not need to be uh, in ministry uh, which I would argue a child pornography charge would disqualify you from ministry. Like, I don't see why we can't remove them from friendly cooperation at the Southern Baptist Convention. If we can do it for, uh, you know, women pastors, uh, we can do it for this, for heaven's sakes. One of the things that makes this problem so insidious is that the most powerful tool for change is the voice of the survivors, the voices of the victims, because they actually have those personal stories that uh, demonstrate the, the true horror of, of what's going on. And so one of the things that abusers will try to do is to silence their victims. Johnny Hunt, that former president that you mentioned earlier, the, the woman that he abused uh, shortly after his tenure ended, um, said that he had manipulated her into silence by saying that, you know, any news of, of what he had done would just hurt SBC churches. And that kind of manipulation is used on some. Sometimes it's the, the classic, no one's going to believe you. It's your word against mine. And sometimes it's even worse than that. It's someone does come forward, but um, people have people are loyal to the victimizer rather than the victim and, you know, it's just denigrate and say awful things about survivors that are brave enough to, to come forward. And so what we can do at our own level is just be advocates and try to create a space and a culture where 
if something like this were to god forbid happen the the victim would feel safe and would be able to come forward without fear of losing everything all their the community that they have just for the sake of telling the truth about about this terrible thing that has happened um so if you are if you're a member of a church go to your leadership go to your pastor and find out hey if this were to occur what's the policy like what's the process that would be followed if it ha- if it was someone on staff you know do we have a third party entity that we are ready to bring in to to investigate soon and quickly and and most importantly do we have you know trauma trained resources and counsel available to offer to to the victim that's not going to gaslight them and try to keep them quiet about their story but that's going to provide what they truly need um, in that time and if the answer is no to any of those questions then advocate for that just like you would for your your justice issue or your pro-life issue or your you know, whatever else it is that, that God lays on your heart to, to seek after according to his word, because this is something that has just really been a blind spot for for people of a of a conservative theological um, bent for for way, way too long. And it doesn't have to be that way. It, re- it really doesn't. But we're letting it. And it's a tragedy. I want to be very clear about this. Um, God is a God of justice. And when we look at the Old Testament and we see what happens with the Assyrians coming in and conquering the North and the Babylonians coming in and conquering the South, that was God's justice against the nation state of Israel for their sins. And if you read Jeremiah, there's this... (laughs) There's this almost folly where they're saying that Yahweh won't destroy us. We hold his temple. And how how massively hubris is it for us to say that, that God won't judge us because we worship him? That's inconceivable. And so we dare not. We dare not say that, well, we, we have to shelter the SBC or we have to we have to protect the SBC or we have to prevent litigation because we can't let it get destroyed. We're doing God's work. Uh, How hubris is that? God doesn't need the SBC. You you act like there's not other faithful churches that won't spread the word of God elsewhere. No, it's ridiculous. Now, can God use the SBC? Absolutely. Do I think God has used the SBC? Absolutely. I I came to Jesus in an SBC church, but my heart is that, our heart would break for what breaks God's heart and, and sin and especially sin of a sexual nature breaks God's heart. And we have not done well to protect victims. and We have not done well to care the way Jesus does. And so I, I just want to encourage again, what Taz said is, is formulate active plans in your local church that prevent things like this from happening that ensure investigations take place, that you do background checks and thoroughly call previous employers of of prospective pastors, because I think it is exponentially important that we look into these things, because if we don't, God will judge us. 
And on on that somber note, I'm going to transition us to talking about the shooting in Uvalde. Just a just a couple of minutes. Um, there's going to be more to say about this for sure once we kind of know more details about about motivations and, and stuff like that. But I just want to take a moment to acknowledge the victims of this that have been revealed so far, including Alexandria Rubio, Amari Garza, Annabel Rodriguez, Eliana Torres. Eli Garcia, Eva Morales, the teacher, Irma Garcia, the co-teacher, Jackie Casares, Alia Siluero, Jace Luevanos, Jose Flores, McKenna Elrod, Mete Rodriguez, Nevea Bravo, Rogelio Torres, Tess Mata, Josea Garcia, and Javier Lopez. And potentially even more if the if the death toll continues to mount. I know that in a time such as this, prayer is not enough of a response, but a response that doesn't also include prayer would would also be inadequate. So in the in this moment where we're just paralyzed by the, by the grief of it and are just waiting for, for details to come back before we try to figure out what we can actually do to prevent this from happening the next time. Sam, will you join me in, in praying for the families of, of those who have who've lost their children and, and also for the families of the teachers? God, you are good. And even in days like today, when our hearts are overburdened with grief, we have to recognize that you are good. May your word says in First Peter to, to cast our anxieties on you. And so, God, we do that now as we, we pray for the people of Uvalde, Texas. God, I, I pray for those living. Father, as, as I can only imagine the, the trauma they have endured, I pray for quick recoveries. I pray for, I pray for healing mentally, Father. It's, it's unbelievable what they went through. Father, I, I pray for the 14 families that lost a child. I pray for the, the two families that, that lost an adult. God, it's, it's unbelievable. And yet, God, we must say that you are good. And, and we do not understand that right now. It is, it is unquestionably difficult for us to look at this and, and still say that you are good. But God, I have to know in my heart that you are good. Show me your goodness. Lord is... Other children across the state and across the country are at school on this day and every day until the, the summer finally brings a, brings a summer break. I ask that you would just be a shield around each of those schools and that you would bring safety to them, that you would protect those students from fear help them to to feel at peace and not and not be scared that something would happen to them let the adults in their lives do the things that are necessary in order to to protect them and if anyone is considering looking at this situation and seeing seeing what happened and thinking oh that's something that I want to repeat at my own school or to to do in my own town I ask that you would help them get the the assistance that they need, the mental help, the 
whatever it is that may be missing in their lives that draws them to such an eventuality or conclusion. And I ask that you would just surround everyone who needs it today with the kind of care that will help them to avoid going to such a dark place. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen, amen. We want to thank you for bearing with us this week. It's It's been a difficult week for, for us uh, to record as we talk about these heavy topics. So we want to thank you for sticking around with us. If you have meaningful conversation and engagement that you feel like uh, you want to contribute to this conversation, you can reach out to us via email. Uh, our email address is thefrontporchreport at gmail.com or can, I don't remember our social handles right now. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, our, you can also reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok or Facebook where we are at Front Report, except the TikTok, which is at Front Porch Report. If you found this analysis helpful, please share it with your friends, um, help spread the word. But most of all, um, I would just repeat my, my request that if you belong to a church and that your church is not equipped to help survivors in the ways that they need to be helped, be the change that you want to see in your church. It has been well said that the only thing required for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. And let that not be us. Thank you all so much for joining us this week on Front Porch Report. We are a passion project by a group of people who love Jesus and want to spread his word. Our hosts are Taz Turner and Samuel Hinckley. Our theme song is If by Beautiful Eulogy. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and share this episode with your friends so that we can continue to spread the word. If you'd like to get in touch, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, where we are at Front Report, or on TikTok, where we are at Front Porch Report. Catch you next week. Stay safe out there. Thank <laughs> you.